to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome, everybody. It's a new week, so let's get right to it. I've got a number of things to cover here. I've got some audio to play as well. I want to revisit a couple of stories from last week that I didn't cover, but one of them is rather important because, again, it just continues to show sort of the general pattern of behavior among a great deal of K-12 schools. And this came first out of Texas regarding their attorney general, Ken Paxton. And a lot of the audio and video, of course, was going around last week on the internet regarding the Austin City School District or Austin Independent School District and their quote-unquote gay pride uh, history month, whatever the hell it was, you know, history week or national LGBTQ health awareness week and all these other ridiculous things. Uh, students walking around the hallways with the rainbow flags and chanting things and signs and all of it. We shouldn't have to wonder any longer why these environments do not teach people anything. Very telling that these individuals who, who work within these buildings, of course, aren't teaching actual facts. They're simply teaching their feelings. They're teaching their emotions. They're teaching their personal interests and their perversions for lack of a better word, uh, which I, I just think is, is what a lot of this is. They're teaching their own political ideologies as well. And uh, everybody then, of course, at the end of every year wonders why you have no literacy and why you don't test well and why these students are not succeeding nor reaching nor even recognizing what their potential might possibly be. So with all of that said, Fortunately, the attorney general in Texas contacted the school district and said, you're breaking numerous laws, and here's what's going to happen now. So I'm going to read this particular article, and forgive me, but this comes from NPR, which I know is just a, a, a terrible outlet, but uh, it lays into exactly what was said by the attorney general, and then, of course, in lockstep fashion, how the school district decided to respond. And they responded the way that you would expect. They doubled down, said, we're not breaking the law. We're going to continue doing our own thing and X, Y, Z. And this is just how it's going to be. So it says, quote, an annual Pride Week celebration in Austin schools is breaking state law. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said that week, marking the state's latest move to confront LGBTQ rights. Here's the other thing. They also listed as LGBTQIA+. When are when are they when are they going to stop with the letters of the alphabet? Why not just get them all in there, and why not just start saying them in order? I mean, it's a joke at this point. It really is. Uh, but Austin school district said that the events will nevertheless continue. Oh, you'll show us. It says every year the Austin Independent School District plans a series of events to celebrate LGBTQIA plus students, highlighting the district's commitment to creating a safe, supportive, and inclusive environment. Far from it. Far from it. It's join us or else. It's the old join us or else mentality. Same, same game, just different name. It says the events this year started Monday and culminated Saturday with Pride Out, quote-unquote, a Pride Out party. Each day of the week is assigned a theme including knowing your rights, creative expression, and Pride history. 
Pride and ally stickers and flags are handed out as well. The events line up the National LGBTQ Health Awareness Week. But on Tuesday, Paxton sent a letter to Stephanie uh, Elzade, I don't know, Elzade, the superintendent of the Austin Independent School District. Quote, the Texas legislator has made it clear that when it comes to sex education, parents, not school districts, are in charge, he wrote. Paxton said the school district must obtain parental permission before any student is subject to instruction regarding human sexuality. See, again, if I was a parent sending my child to a public school system, which I would not be, this is a perfect example of when you tell the parents, of course, what's coming up so that they know when to take an early spring break. That's all. If you were, if you were to give your child or look at your child and say, of course, you wouldn't give them the choice if you're a logical parent. If you're a parent, you would tell your child what to do. But if you wanted to give them a choice just for a second, just to give them the illusion of, of actually, you know, being in charge, you, you, would, you would set them up with a very clear question. Son, daughter, Johnny, Sally, would you like to go to school and, and do all of this stuff? or? Would you like to stay home for an entire week? And, oh, I don't know, maybe go on a vacation with the family for an entire week away from school while they play all these Pride Month games and walk around the hallways carrying flags and wasting everybody's time. I'll even buy you a book on vacation and, oh, I don't know, you can actually read it maybe. What would you like to do, A or B? The child again, nine times out of 10, is going to pick B. They're going to choose to go take a, a family vacation. They're going to choose to stay away from school. That's what most logical students would do. It's what most of us would do. It's no different, again, than looking at a student and saying, well, it's snowing feet of snow outside. They're calling for a snow day. Do you still want to go to school or would you rather go outside and play in the snow all day? I mean, the choice here is clear. But again, you wouldn't really give your child the choice. You would just keep them home and keep them away. The reason, though, that they don't tell parents in advance is also clear. That's because they want to surprise the child, thereby surprising you. And see, I've written about this at length. This is why the school environment loves chaos. They love confrontation. They love conflict. They love chaos because they themselves set it up. They knew that this would happen. Someone in the environment knew, although many of them are brainwashed as we know, but someone in the environment knew that there would be quote-unquote backlash as a result of all of this, and they didn't care. If they knew that there would be backlash and they didn't care, that means they're looking for conflict. They're looking for interpersonal conflict as much as possible. And yet, of course, they're the ones that call us confrontational. It's, it's beyond hypocritical. But I wanted to read Paxton's letter here if I can. And it says the following here. It says, Dear Dr. Elzadale, if that's her real last name, it says it's come to my attention that Austin ISD is currently hosting Pride Week, quote-unquote, during which campuses are encouraged to plan activities that engage, educate, and inspire students concerning LGBTQIA plus issues. 
I don't even know what they stand for. I don't even care. Says your district is further providing a week's worth of inspiration guides, instructional curriculum, and lesson plans, apparently for all ages, culminating in a pride out party taking place on Saturday, March 26th. As you know, your curriculum and lesson plans deal head-on with sexual orientation and gender identity topics that unmistakably constitute human, sexual, human sexuality instruction, quote-unquote, governed by state law. This is plain from the public description of the events your district has provided to say nothing of off-the-record instruction that will likely be given to students concerning controversial and sensitive gender and sexuality issues. With just one full day of Pride Week on the books, we received reports from community circles, group discussions, and sensitive topics that students are encouraged to keep confidential, presumably from parents. Of course. Turning the child against the parent is a Bolshevik tactic. Always has been, always will be. It continues, it says, the Texas legislator legislature has made it clear that when it comes to sex education, parents, not school districts, are in charge. Education Code Section 28.004 I through 2 or I-2 requires that before a student may be provided with human sexuality instruction, a school district must obtain the written consent of the par- of the student's parents. By hosting Pride Week, your district has, at best, undertaken a week-long instructional effort in human sexuality without parental consent. Or worse, your district is cynically pushing a week-long indoctrination of your students that not only fails to obtain parental consent, but subtly cuts parents out of the loop. Either way, you are breaking state law. Based on your violation, objecting parents can file grievances with your school board pursuant to the grievance policy your district is required to maintain under Education Code Section 26.011. It then wraps up and it says, Additionally, parents may file complaints with the Texas Education Agency on the basis that your events violate state law, specifically Education Code Section 28.004-I-2. I encourage you to take immediate action to rectify the situation. For parents, Ken Paxton, Attorney General of Texas. Now, here's the cool part again. He's done exactly what lots of parents across the United States have done, and legally so. He's, he's sent them a written warning. Here are the laws you're breaking. Rectify the situation. And if you don't, people will take measures to basically reach out to the appropriate parties way above the the heads of the school district to file formal complaints, and they should. In this case, it's with the Texas Education Agency. I'm sure that there's an ethics board of some kind, and every superintendent, school district, uh, specific school district administrator, the teachers participating, every single one of them should have a boatload of parents file a a formal complaint against their certification. And that's it. And then, of course, that has to be investigated. And those investigations, of course, are going to pile up and be backlogged like you wouldn't believe at the state level. But who cares? Do it anyway. Every single teacher, again, who breaks the law should be held accountable. And parents are the ones who hold the key to all of of that. 
They can hold these people accountable anytime they want. They just need to know how to do it. Again, I've been over how to do it on numerous occasions on this on this podcast. State Departments of Education have formal forms that you can fill out and email and send in. You can even do it anonymously in a, in a great number of states. It, it, you know, if you're fearful for something like retribution. But um, yeah, and unfortunately, I, I might add. In like I said earlier, in lockstep fashion, the school district just said, "Whatever, we're not breaking the law." You see, this brings up another interesting point: is that a number of these institutions who have lawyers working for them, again, school boards and school districts, rather, they hire lawyers who are dependent on, of course, employment within the school district and getting paid to represent and defend the school district. But at the same time, it's more advantageous for the school districts to hire lawyers who align with them ideologically on everything. I mean, if, if you are a perverse school district, it would behoove you to not hire perverse lawyers. You need them because, again, they agree with you on all of your perverse practices and everything else that you're doing. So you need these quote-unquote defense lawyers on a constant basis. And again, school districts do that intentionally. They intentionally seek out lawyers who are just as perverse as they are so that they can make sure, again, that they align with one another politically and whatever else regarding a variety of issues because, again, they want to see what they can get away with. And then they, of course, need a lawyer to defend them if something like this comes down. What I hope happens is that Ken Paxton drops the hammer. I hope he drops the hammer, withhold state funding from them. That's, I, I feel like that's the next move. Just take their money away. You're breaking the law. You're engaging in these activities. You're flaunting it. So, so, so you can't say that, that, you're, uh, that you're not doing it. It's on social media everywhere. It's being shared everywhere. Um, now we're going to withhold your funding unless you remove them 100%. And we have it in, in writing by your lawyers that you are no longer going to engage in these activities. And again, the second that they do, you go after the specific individuals who are responsible for implementing these activities. But man, what a nightmare. Again, these degenerate environments continue to exist. People continue to send their children into them. Um, it continues to baffle me as to why that's the case. And it's not getting better. You know, I, I just, I tossed up another clip uh, on Gab. And apparently it's a a Catholic preparatory school, allegedly, in Baltimore, where there was a dance competition among the student and staff population in the gymnasium. It was a packed house. And uh, there was a parental twerking competition. So you have three black female parents, apparently. At least, again, it's in the video. But they get down on the uh, on their hands and knees, and and they're twerking, and they're engaging in all of these sexual positions and doing whatever they're doing, and people are shouting and screaming and uh, cheering them on and whatever else. These are degenerate environments. I I don't know what else to say. I just don't know what else to say. They are not interested in maximizing the time that they are there for personal instructional purposes to increase IQ, 
or knowledge or shake off the brainwashing that we've all been subjected to. I mean, and that's not what they are interested in. They're interested in taking their, I don't know, backyard playground and bringing it right into a school environment. I think it's disgusting. I just, I just think it's disgusting. Um, I remember again when I was a school teacher, they would do these. Uh, well, they they did it once because a teacher got hurt, and I remember bringing this up. I think on the podcast a long time ago, but it was a uh, it was a staff student basketball game. You know, let's have the staff and the students, and we'll mix them up, and we'll put them on the same team, or it'll be staff versus students. I think it was in a basketball game, while while other while other students were watching in the bleachers. Um, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I might add, I participated in it. Um, I, I don't play basketball well, but I was playing. And, um, and that was about it. And then before you knew it, one of the larger teachers blew out his Achilles tendon. The entire thing just exploded inside of his leg, and that was the end of the game. And then that created just a massive uh, you know, groundswell of problems. Parents were, were complaining and saying, why is this taking place? I thought I was supposed to be sending my students to a school, not a playground. Um, and then the very next thing was the, the, the teacher whose Achilles tendon exploded wanted his bills paid by the school district. And, and they wouldn't. And again, the, the principal wouldn't, wouldn't take a stand for him. And it was, I mean, the entire thing was just a waste of time, a, a colossal headache. And it was just dumb. But again, these are the kinds of activities that public and private and charter schools engage in because they think that they can. They've lost the plot because, again, they don't know why they exist. And they exist for the sole purpose of increasing literacy. And I use that term broadly. They are, they are there to increase literacy across all subjects, but teach students how to think. And I got to tell you, that's the last thing that's happening in these environments. And it's, it's sad. It's sad and disgusting. Now, on a lighter note, and I would say a, certainly a more funny note, and this again proves, and I'm glad that Steven Crowder did this because it's very funny. He ended up, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll just say this first. It, it proves what I've brought up in the past about the ridiculous nature of the research that's taking place these days in academia. It is, it's beyond embarrassing. It has nothing to do with anything based in reality. And again, it's simply brainwashed, mentally ill individuals researching things and making things up as they go that have everything to do with them to rationalize their own irrational behavior. It is really the height of immorality. And so here's what Steven Crowder did. And again, he has a show called Louder with Crowder. And back when I was in graduate school, I, I would watch it from time to time. And I had a subscription to his show. And I mean, it was funny and educational at the same time. And you learned a lot and, you know, whatever else. I, I don't watch his show anymore and I haven't in years. but. He decided to research this particular thing that apparently exists, and it's called fat theory or fat liberation theory or fat liberation. And it's morbidly obese women who are apparently academics getting together talking about being obese and what that means and how it feels and 
how it's empowering and whatever else. I I I I don't I don't get it. Like I said, it's um it's a way to rationalize their irrational behavior. So here's what he here's what he decided to do, and it is very funny. You can look this up on YouTube and watch the whole thing. He decided to have a couple of his makeup artists make him up into a look a person who looks like a female. It was him, but he's he's uh he's being made up to look like a female and decided to go by the name of C Matheson. And then he decided to submit a manuscript to a Zoom meeting or a or a um a Zoom call for this Fat Liberation Conference or Fat Studies Conference. And what ended up happening was is he ended up getting accepted as being a reviewer for their journal. So again, something that's completely made up, that isn't real, that's pretend, that's being passed off as if it is something that is real among the most brainwashed. An individual like Steven Crowder, who knows it's fake, decides to play along with it being fake, and it ends and his presentation ends up getting accepted um, to the point where they invite him to be a reviewer for future academic articles within this journal. I uh, I got nothing on that. I mean, he's I love how he's playing the system and he's playing the game and highlighting the stupidity of the entire thing, but. Again, that should prove to everybody just how not well these people are who are who are writing for these kinds of journals, allowing these kinds of journals to exist. And then again, as I said before, passing off their own irrational behavior as being rational. These are not well people. These are not individuals, again, that I would let babysit a child, let alone teach them anything as an adult in an academic setting. Fat studies conference? Fat liberation? What the hell is that? Okay, so from one crazy subject to another, I've got some jab-related stuff I wanted to bring up here. And again, the information continues to be rolling out in, in a variety of different ways that really is exposing the entire agenda behind all of this. But there was an article that came out from the Gateway Pundit this past week, uh, on, on Saturday, actually, just, just the other day. And this is an example of what I would call the slow roll of the truth. You know, sort of that just drip, drip of, of factual information to get people to understand how things really operate. And you're going to understand what this means if you've listened to this podcast, because you, you, you know what this really means. And here's what it's titled. It's titled, Scientists Currently Developing Controversial Contagious Vaccines That Can Spread From Vaccinated to Unvaccinated. Now, just the title alone should indicate to everyone who, again, has listened to this podcast and knows about what vaccines really are and how things are actually spread. In particular, the word shedding, if you recall that, that that word has been around now in the mainstream, I, I should say, well, maybe not in the mainstream, but it's certainly been around the alternative media, quote unquote, for the last year plus regarding these COVID shots. Um, because that's how 
illness spreads. It spreads via electromagnetism. Being around people who are ill, being around people whose immune systems are disrupted. When you're around those people, the likelihood of your immune system negatively reacting to them just by being around them is remarkably high, and it has nothing to do with coughing or sneezing on people. That's, that's not, that's, it has nothing to do with that. These fake viruses, which do not exist, do not travel in spit or water droplets or snot or whatever. They just don't. That's not how illness spreads. Illness spreads just like information spreads wirelessly from servers to wireless computers. It's the same thing. It's all through electromagnetism. But this article, again, proves that. Because if they're highlighting how scientists are developing controversial contagious vaccines that spread from vaccinated to unvaccinated, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's every vaccination. That's alre- that already exists. It would be like them, again, coming up with an article saying, well, the television is the latest, greatest thing. I mean, they had the, the television was, in, was already invented and being used long before it was rolled out to the public. But this right here, again, is, is more proof that this is exactly what every vaccination has been, like the flu shot and the COVID shots and all of it. We wouldn't have the flu or even flu-like symptoms if people stopped injecting themselves with poison. But they keep injecting themselves with poison, and then they get around un, unjabbed people and uninjected people, and then they make those people ill also. But again, the people who are injected are wondering why they're getting sick. Uh, Well, you just injected yourself with poison. That's why. So the article says the following. It says, groups of scientists are currently developing self-spreading vaccines. They've already done it. It already exists. Uh, That could infect others uh, others from vaccinated to unvaccinated people or between vaccinated to unvaccinated animals, according to National Geographic of all places. says the experiment was designed to spread the vaccine to unvaccinated people in vaccinated persons close proximity. See? (laughs) This is is awful. I mean, it's the slow drip of the truth. It's finally coming out, but here it is. I mean, here it is. National Geographic is telling you that the poisonous COVID jabs are contagious just by being around the jabbed if you are unjabbed. And again, like I said, it's no different than if you have the flu shot. Same thing. It says, quote, the idea is that instead of a vaccine staying in one person's body, the vaccine itself would infect them in such a way that they could pass on vaccination to others around them, much as they would otherwise pass on a disease. Yeah. It says scientists could vaccinate one person or animal in a community, and the vaccination would spread to those around them, per newsbreak. It says, according to the report, scientists are currently developing contagious vaccines for Ebola, bovine tuberculosis, and Lassa fever, a viral disease spread by rats. The scientists are also planning to expand their studies to other zoonotic diseases, including rabies, West Nile virus, Lyme disease, and the plague. Well, that sounds fun. 
According to the Mayo Clinic, when infected with the virus, your body retains the virus for life. CMV spreads from person to person through body fluids such as blood, saliva, urine, semen, and breast milk. That's called HIV. It says there's no cure, but there are medications that can help treat the symptoms. This is an admission of their evil, but it's also an admission of what has already existed for decades, if not centuries now, since the first rollout of shots. Again, it's all about electromagnetism. I've, I've, I've brought up numerous examples in the past. I'll bring up the most widely used example again. Again, the business of flu shots. Okay, you, you, you pump endless students with flu shots on a year-in and year-out basis, which is poison. You put them all in the same environment, a school, and then all of a sudden you have a lot of quote-unquote flu. Well, that means that the vaccination didn't have the intent that you thought the vaccination was supposed to have. It didn't have the intended meaning that, that, that these recipients thought it was supposed to have. The actual intended meaning is to make the recipient of the flu shot ill because it's poison. That's the, that's the real truth behind it. There is not a single flu shot that has prevented illness. It does not work that way. That's not why they were designed. They were designed, again, with a false story to trick people into taking them to compromise their immune systems, weaken them over the course of their life. And then all of a sudden, these random illnesses pop up and they wonder why. Well, how many flu shots have you taken in your life? And again, like I said, those people get around other people and then they get ill. It's remarkably sad, remarkably repetitive, but I find this story interesting because, again, there's so much truth in it while basically being wrapped in another layer of a nefarious nature. So, yeah. But interesting article nonetheless, and again, it's a full-blown admission that if you didn't think that vaccination companies were evil, well, you'd better know that now because, again, they're, they're even trying to spin it in a positive way. Like, hey, look, we'll vaccinate people and then they'll get around the unvaccinated and then we'll all be safe. When in fact, they want to jab people with poison, get those people around other people who are unjabbed because, again, they know, these companies know how this spreads. These companies and the heads of these companies and the scientists who make these in labs know that electromagnetism is a real thing, that that's how illness spreads. You can pump a person full of poison, stick them in a room full of healthy people, and the person who is poisoned will make the other people ill just by being around them. So that's what the article is also admitting. I mean, they're admitting the method of transmission. Of course, I might add this too. Uh, one of the things that's constantly being talked about now is the business of insects passing illness and spreading illness and the release of all of these manufactured mosquitoes and injected mosquitoes that have God knows what in them and flying around and biting people and sucking blood and then you know going to another person and doing the same thing. I'm actually less worried about that than I am what's in a syringe. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about, uh, about a mosquito. I'm concerned about an individual, a human being, who is pumped to the gills with God knows what, and then just making their way around countless other people who are not ill, ultimately to make them ill. So 
If I was you, I, I wouldn't worry about the insect front. I don't think we have anything to worry about there necessarily. Um, that's just my two cents. Okay, here's the next thing. Apparently, go figure, shocking, I know. Uh, hope you're sitting down for this one. But apparently, all the children who have received the COVID shots are more likely to now get COVID as opposed to not getting it. And this actually comes from the CDC itself. Again, this was written about in the Gateway Pundit, and it says latest CDC data shows that vaccinated children aged 5 to 11 are now more likely to catch COVID than their unvaccinated peers. Again, the CDC is admitting this, and yet it's these drug companies that are doing whatever they can to get it to the point where they can inject infants with this. Uh, the left is eating its own tail. The criminals can't even keep up with their own lies. Uh, the VAERS report also has been recently updated as of about 10 days ago. And now apparently we are up to approximately 26,059 deaths. Of course, keeping in mind that the VAERS report is inaccurate, 1% or less of the total numbers are actually reported to VAERS. And it also stated that the numbers and cases of myocarditis have doubled since last year alone. So, not good. Keeping in mind, of course, that there's only 50 employees for, the, for, for VAERS, apparently, and they are backlogged six months to 12 months. So, you know, I, I mean, the VAERS report is ridiculous, is, is my point. The, the numbers are, are way, way worse. We're talking about millions dead, millions more injured permanently. And now, of course, the, the VAIDS talk continues to exist, and rightfully so, because these individuals, of course, have compromised immune systems and so on and so forth. Here's what I want to describe now. The Five Docs had their last video this past Thursday, and it was. Uh, it was very interesting, and I'm going to play some audio from it here, but I, I, I want to comment on a few things that were said at the very beginning. They, they started off the episode, which I'll, I'll link the entire episode in the description, and by the way, I recommend you watch the whole thing because it really is good. Uh, they cover a variety of issues, even some geopolitical stuff from Dr. Lee Merritt, which she's 100% dead on with what's going on in, uh, in Ukraine with the biolabs. And again, she even calls out Dr. Robert Malone, which is great. And she goes, look, this guy's been making money off of these biolabs and what's going on in these biolabs, and that's not good. So uh, there's that. But they started off the episode talking about the ESSER funds regarding schools. And they were, again, claiming that schools were only masking children so that they could receive the ESSER funds and they could receive the money. It, that's partially true, but it's mostly false. There were schools that, again, were being bribed to, wear, to, to put masks on children in school settings so that they could receive money. Yes. Was that directly laid out in the ESSER guidelines? The answer is no, it isn't. In the, in the ESSER guidelines that I have seen, and it's a, it's a pretty standard bullet-pointed list, at least it is here in the state of Ohio, it simply says the phrase preventative measures. Nowhere in it does it say masks. The problem is, is that countless people have misinterpreted the phrase preventative measures, and they've inserted it with 
mask wearing, social distancing, contact tracing, you name it. And these were, again, the superintendents and school boards that put forth those specific methods, thinking that that's exactly what they would have to do to receive this money, when in fact they didn't. All they had to do was say, hey, we've got Kleenex, we've got, uh, we've got soap and water, you know, the windows are open from time to time, we're, we're fine. And we've told people if they're sick, stay home. If they really wanted government money, which I might add is, is all illegal and it's all just paper, fiat, fake, fake cash, uh, if not taxpayer dollars being wasted, they could have just given the money back. They could have just contacted the State Departments of Education, the federal government, and said, look, we understand what you're doing, but we don't need your money. They could have done that, but you have to understand that would mean that schools wouldn't get new AC units, and they wouldn't get new windows, and they wouldn't get new roofs put on their buildings, and they wouldn't get new desks and new computers. The money, you know, the quote-unquote elementary and secondary school relief fund money was being spent on things like that also. And then, of course, it was being laundered through the masking companies and the testing companies like Binax, and I've been over that stuff in the past also. All all of that, of course, has been happening as well. But these people have no shame. I mean, these school districts, these treasurers, these superintendents, they have no shame. They're, They're always willing to take a free handout, and it's not free. It's not free. It's our tax dollars. It's everybody's tax dollars are being wasted on this kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's a COVID measure, and if we have new windows, it's better insulation. And I mean, they, they, they rationalize it any way they can, like having a new AC unit is going to make everybody breathe better. How about you open a flipping window? How about that? How about you take the masks off and let everybody just breathe normally? How about that? But see, they, again, they were spending the entire time pushing these jabs, and that's backing up on everybody. So... They sort of, again, the five docs sort of falsely brought up the ESSER funds and, and what it means, and they were getting a lot of that wrong and discussing it a little bit. And I thought, eh, I wish they knew a little bit more about it, or at least asked. But um, yeah, but, but again, it is worth mentioning that there were schools, and they even mentioned one, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny brought one up, I think, in Texas, where, again, the school district was completely awake, and they said, look, we're not taking your ESSER funds. You can send them to us, but we're going to send them right back. And they did. And that was only one school district. There's no way that th- that only one school district sent the ESSER funds back to the federal government. Countless other school districts must have done that. But as we know, as I just laid out, many of them decided, oh, no, we, we need this cash. We're going to spend this cash on fun things. And, uh, yeah, I just hope they all get audited and I hope they all get caught. But unfortunately, again, many school districts were contacting their state departments of education and the federal government and saying, okay, look, we need new windows. Can we spend this money on new windows? And then they get back to them and they say, yes, you can spend it on new windows because that's a preventative measure for COVID. You can't, you can't make up this level of stupidity. It's everywhere. Uh, so I want to get into some of the audio here from the five docs. This piece of audio is from Dr. Kerry Madey. Very interesting stuff regarding breast milk. Now, you may recall there was a guy who spoke at a school board meeting last August in 2021 saying that breast milk is contaminated. Turns out that's true. Um, 
yeah, I don't know who that guy was who spoke at that board meeting, but he was ahead of the curve. So uh, here's Dr. Carrie Madej talking about some of the revelations that she has found in her research and in talking with a number of different patients. Well, I'll start with the breast milk. That's a little easier. So I've had some patients, they have not been injected, and they were telling me that they were having a hard time with the baby accepting the milk. We didn't analyze their milk, though, um, which is strange, really strange. The baby just didn't want the breast milk. I, I But they had been around in a school system. They've been around kids that have been injected, et cetera. Um, so I started asking other people around about if they heard this. They said, yes, that's been common right now. And then um, there was a woman that did get injected while she was pregnant with two different um, companies. I think it was Pfizer and Moderna. She decided to mix them up. Why not? While she was pregnant. And then she had the baby. Um, the baby was born um, the end of last year, I believe. And then she actually said, well, the baby is not have its failure to thrive, having all these symptoms. Um, of course, it wasn't the injection, right? But she felt like the milk looked funny, was a funny color. And she was still feeding it to the baby, though. I just couldn't believe this. So she did have the, the she agreed for the breast milk to be analyzed um, by something called a, a quest machine, which is analyzing the signatures from any substance. So everything has a signature. Everything has um, a frequency that it puts out. And then we have a data bank for that. So we know if it's uh, this chemical or that chemical or even a chromosome, et cetera. And so when it came out, this was just a, just a general overview of it. It was saying that the substance was... Um, 80% inorganic. Inorganic. Whoa. Whoa. 80%? This was shocking. So the people writing the test called me like, you're never going to believe this. Never seen this before ever. 80, and they ran it several times. It's 80% inorganic. What does that mean? This is crazy. So also it said the toxicity level was a level eight. It goes up to 10 as the, the highest of a toxicity level. Obviously, this should not be you know, any food for any human, right? Well, human. Um, nutritional value was five. So, you know, one to, to 10 is the highest nutritional level. So very little nutrition. It's mostly uh, inorganic, right? So then they did a further investigation. And, and this breakdown I can post somewhere if somebody wants it. There are pictures I have of this. Yeah, I'd love it. I'd love um, that. So... This is going into a lot of programming was inside of it because, again, these injections have programs inside of them. And also there's uh, some toxins in there like aluminum lake dye. Um, this is from breast milk, right? So DDE, methylparaben. Of course, this could be from the mother herself, uh, what she was ingesting. But also she was having um, uh, lead. It actually came up tungsten. Um, Black goo came up in this one. Oh my gosh. Black goo came up in hers. And also there was some problems with um nano because there was nanotechnology in there as well. Some was weaponized there a QR code in there? Pardon pardon? Was there a QR code in there? <laughs> you should scanned her for that. I know. I think the patient finds that offensive though. So I don't know. <laughs> I think they might ask him. I'm not sure. I'm going to ask him again. Did he light up anybody's Bluetooth? Yeah, it's pretty. I don't know. They they should be doing that. Yeah, I I, rec I, I don't know if they did that. 
I wasn't there when they did this with the patient. So um, that's that's breast milk. Of course, they recommended that she did not feed the baby her breast milk anymore. And um, that was the beginning of that. Now, what I was, I gave them a sample came from Utah. So there's uh, in vitro fertilization clinics have been telling, I've known four of them so far in the U.S. that told me this, people that work there, that they're having a terrible time with people that are injected. Their genetic malformations are huge in the embryos, and they have to destroy the embryos. So they're usually a week to 10 days old. Uh, they do say that these malformations are extreme. They've never seen it this bad before. But then they started to say they saw something strange that never in the history of the IVF clinic had they seen this, that in the wells of the embryos that were growing that only came from the injected parents, they were seeing contamination grow. And they did all kinds of controls. They did all this over and over. And they started talking to people in other states. And they all said the same thing. We're seeing this too. And we're told to destroy the embryos in the wells because there's contamination. But the, but the embryos that did not have the injected parent sperm or egg did not have this contamination. They said, this is coming from the injected sperm or egg or both. And so they did a microscopic analysis and it looked uh, more parasitic to me than bacterial. And so there's a sample that was sent, a swab. And this swab was uh, tested on the frequencies with a Quest machine. And so the chromosomal abnormalities were extreme. Um, so this was, you know, chromosome, there were number two, number 11, they numbered them. And so then they also said that there was synthetic mRNA in this swab, synthetic proteins, nanotech proteins. Of course, there's uh, corrupted, altered, misshapen proteins. This is terrible yeah, i mean crime. this is this is this is the hyperphosphorylation tau proteins this is growing in a seven to ten day old embryo artificial proteins there's something called the mingled seed, seed organism genes so this is so these are being destroyed but what if there's there are some that are growing and they're becoming they're being born i'm not sure what what do you categorize that how is this going to affect all of us this is what i'm really worried about i'm worried about what new species is being created and i mean so i think we're in a lull period i think they're going to let us not wear the mask oh you don't have to get those injections i think that everything's going to be fine people go on their cruises they go on trips and everybody's gonna be like oh we're fine meanwhile this is happening so i i mean this is what do we do about this i think we've got to start praying we've got to ask for a supernatural intervention we have to get down on our hands and knees fast and pray and we ask for God because these are the warning signs of something unnatural occurring in our world. Oh. And we can't sit by and, and pretend that somebody that will get elected will save everything because it's all of our accountability and responsibility to speak up and to know that we're not just biological beings, thank God, we're spiritual beings, <laughs> thank God we can still have freedom of thought. So that means we have a lot more power that we are not using. We need to be yeah. connected to the Holy Spirit. 
because with God, nothing is impossible. And this is the time, right? So do you want to just reiterate that woman's breast milk was from a woman who was not injected, correct? I, I, I was sorry, I kind of mixed that up. In the beginning, I got interested in the breast milk because I had patients that had given birth. They were definitely not injected, but they were having problems with the baby just didn't want the milk. It wasn't about being tongue-tied or any of that stuff, and, and she was flowing fine. These were about three different women, but the baby just spit out the milk, didn't want it. And, uh, and I, I couldn't figure this out, but they had been around a lot of people that were shedding. They were in school systems. They were um, around a lot of people that had been injected. So that's that was my uh, hypothesis. Maybe there's something going on with the shedding of the vaccines. Now, I didn't have a person that had been shed, but there was a woman that had been injected with two different vaccines, and that's the one that was checked on the Quest machine. Oh, okay. Okay. So I didn't get the one that was shed. I wish I had more, but not everybody wants uh, the analysis. They don't yeah. want to know. This Carrie, is the problem. Yeah. Carrie, when you were talking about the uh, those embryos in the um, infertility clinics, how, ma- how many different clinics were saying they're seeing the same things? Four. Four of them. At least and, four. Um, I mean, there's at least the four, four. that you know about, right? There's four, four. Yeah. and the, I talked to one of them in there, and they told me personally that they had been calling to different clinics, and they had been part of a, a larger, I guess there's a larger um, network. Like a, a, yeah, network. And they were saying that they had been seeing this as well, but they, when they question it to any of their superiors, they're, they're threatened, they're afraid to talk, they think they're going to lose their job, um, they have to say things quietly. And I happened to sit next to a gentleman on the plane. I started talking to him. Uh, of course, got him to take his mask off. He was telling me their infertility problems. They hadn't got injected. And so he was saying that the embryos were so severely malformed, the genetic malformations, that there was, they wouldn't even try on them again. And that the fertility clinic told them that this was common. And he knew it was from the, the injections. But he said, well, it's for the good of the whole. And this is our service to society. This is what he was saying to me. Now, this guy had, you know, two degrees. He's, engineer blah blah blah, and then he did say that they decided on surrogate and that's the big thing now you wouldn't believe how many people are using surrogates even before dr madey was talking dr Merritt was was discussing the long-term impact of the shots on the chromosomes and the reproductive organs again and how because it hijacks the dna what it's doing and, and going to do apparently is it's not only accumulating within the testicles and ovaries of both men and women, of course, but it's going to create a extra generational infertility that is likely to occur. Where again, if a jabbed if a jabbed parent gives birth and the child survives and actually makes it to the age where they can reproduce, the child will not be able to reproduce. Again, this is the kind of information again, based in both research and the individuals that have studied genetics and genetic makeup and genetic coding and and all of that stuff over the course of decades, you know, this information exists. And these are, these are five individuals that are having conversations and looking things up the way that, you know, a real doctor is supposed to look things up and then bring that information to the public. So again, I'll link, I'll link the entire description 
of uh, of their most recent episode in the description below. It's the entire thing is worth a listen. Lots of valuable information on a constant basis, and uh, they're ahead of the curve. And God bless them because they've been doing this now for over a year, and they were talking about things like this roughly a year ago. So it helps to stay uh, you know ahead of the curve, and it helps to. Uh, Broaden your resources and, and, and broaden the information that you're receiving from a variety of different people and then arriving at a logical conclusion. Because that's a life-saving skill after all. And it's worth keeping in mind always the number of whistleblowers that have existed and continue to exist regarding this war that we are in. There are many of them. And here's the last piece of audio I want to play. This is Brooke Jackson. She was involved with Pfizer's Stage 3 trial of the shots here and the abnormalities that she saw. There's also some written words mixed in within this particular video in between the audio. So I'm going to jump in and I'll read uh, the written descriptions for you because clearly it's a podcast and we can't see it. But uh, you'll hear her and, and what she experienced and what happened to her relatively quickly when she again did exactly what she was supposed to do by law and then they immediately came after her. My name is Brooke Jackson. I was fired in September of 2020 for being a whistleblower. I was working on Pfizer's phase three total trial on their COVID-19 vaccine. And then it says this, it says, in September 2021, Brooke Jackson sent the BMJ a tranche of internal company documents from her former employer, Ventavia. I'm saying that right, a subcontractor on Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine trial. My first day on the job was the 8th of September. And from the very beginning, I noticed irregularities, um, things that were questionable. I would, I would bring up the concerns to my managers, and it was always... We're understaffed. We're really trying hard to, you know, make this work. It then says emails from Pfizer's partner company, Icon, showed that Ventavia was not keeping up with data entry queries. You know, at one point when I was going through emails, um, there were emails from Icon begging Ventavia to follow up on severe adverse events that had been reported. There were several emails about mislabeled specimens, blood specimens, and the nasal swabs. There were specimens that were labeled with another participant's information. It was a nightmare. And on the 16th of September, I stayed late in clinic one evening, and I was the only one in the clinic. I walked into an area where the vaccines were refrigerated um, or frozen, rather. And when I walked in, I saw a biohazard bag. The plastic biohazard bag contained used needles, and I realized how unorganized and sloppy Ventavia was, was handling everything. In that same room where they, uh, where they kept the vaccine, the vaccine was just left out, and the boxes that the vaccine came in, the containers, 
they had written the subject information on these containers. So right there, you know, me working on the study, it unblinded me to the, the randomization of these patients. I made note of that. I took pictures. I took pictures to just to document what I'd seen to show my managers. It was also discovered that Ventavia was unblinding participants in the study based on a directive from our COO, which was to print out the randomization scheme and put that drug assignment in everybody's chart. Per Pfizer's protocol, we should have immediately stopped enrolling, but they never, they never told Pfizer. Instead, they wanted us to go through each of the charts and actually take out the randomization scheme that was printed. So that coupled with everything else, I made the recommendation for Ventavia um, to stop enrolling clinical trial participants in the study until we were able to let Pfizer know. And it says Jackson's concerns were not welcomed by Ventavia's management. No kidding. You sent me the photos, thank you, and I didn't, I didn't pull them up. I mean, no, granted, I, that's... I mean, should, not, I, so I, might should I not have taken the pictures? The problem is, is the breach of confidentiality, and it was on oh. a personal phone, because there's uh, sponsor information on those boxes. At that point, it was clear to me that I, I, I wasn't fitting in. I decided that that next morning I was gonna gonna report my company to the FDA. And so I did that about nine o'clock in the morning on the 25th of September. And about six hours later, I got a call from Ventavia and was fired on the spot and told that I was not a good fit. I remember investigator Cannon called me and we spoke for an hour and 16 minutes, to be precise. I can tell you everything that we talked about. It, it mirrored what was typed in my formal complaint to them, the unblinding, the safety of the clinical trial participants, not monitoring them for adverse reactions. They were late to report adverse events. Again, the untrained staff, the oversight by the principal investigators, specifically at the Fort Worth location, the targeting of the employees for coming forward. I thought that the FDA was gonna swoop in and, and, and take care of everything. What I was reporting was so important. In the earlier audio that you heard, she was, she was, uh, she was recording a meeting with one of her managers discussing exactly what she had done and, and the photos she had taken and whatever. And again, it was pretty clear that the management wanted nothing to do with it. But then it says this, it says to date, Ventavia has still not been inspected by the FDA. It says, and only nine of 131 U.S. clinical trial sites were inspected prior to FDA approval. It says Pfizer has since commissioned Ventavia to work on four new vaccine trials. Uh, Ventavia said, quote, we are confident in our practices and procedures in conducting clinical trials. 
And then Pfizer said that it had received an anonymous complaint about Ventavia in September 2020. Quote, actions were taken to correct and remediate where necessary. Pfizer's investigation did not identify any issues or concerns that would invalidate the data or jeopardize the integrity of the study. And then it continues and says, an FDA spokesperson said, quote, FDA has full confidence in the data that were used to support the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine authorization and the comirnaty approval, unquote. So there you go. There you go. The whistleblowers are everywhere. God bless each and every one of these people for, for, for doing what they're doing. Uh, more and more outlets need to continue to highlight what these individuals have done, the irregularities that they've witnessed, the closed door whisper tactics, of course, that are being used on a constant basis. It's criminality at the highest level, ladies and gentlemen. We have to protect ourselves and as many people as we can, because again, they're, they're, they're still pushing more jabs, in particular for the elderly. And like I said earlier, they're going to do whatever they have to do to try to normalize this within school settings as well, because that's ultimately what they want. They want someone by law at the state level to approve this for K-12 students so that, again, they can lump it in with all the other poisonous shots that uh, K-12 students apparently are forced to take in order to attend. So a lot of information there. This is kind of a longer episode. My apologies. But uh, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.